Acts chapter 20. Moving right along. <laughs> Acts chapter 20. So if you would turn there. You know, as Paul is finishing up his trip, he continues to give a final exhortation. Remember, he said, as he passed past Ephesus, he called the Ephesian elders to come to meet him in Jerusalem. And uh, he's, you know, just sharing concerning his own testimony and service before those God had called him to serve. And uh, so I want to read verses uh, 28 through, uh, through the end. Verse 28 says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things and draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend to you God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. We're not going to get through that entire passage, but I want us to just simply take a note of his final exhortation to these Ephesian elders. And as I said last week, you know, when you think about God's leadership that he places in certain ministries, it's for a purpose, it's for a reason, to build up the flock. And as he's coming here, he's like a pastor to pastors, and he's giving this charge to those who are in charge of people. And so we have to remember that when God places us authority on us to work with people, we have a, a huge responsibility in doing that. And it's not one that is to be taken lightly. Let's take a moment and pray, and then we'll get into breaking this apart a little bit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your opportunity that you give to us, Lord, to be here. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word. May your Holy Spirit illuminate the word. And Lord, uh, there may be some here struggling with areas that I will never mention, Lord, but we know that your Holy Spirit can touch them, dress them. And I pray, God, that that would take place today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So right away in verse 28, it says, therefore. And as I've said many times, if you see the word therefore, you're to what? See what it's there for. And why is it there? And I think for us to understand why it's there, it's almost a review of last week. So if we were to go back just a few verses to verse 18, uh, it says, When they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. And we talked about how he lived a very transparent life. It wasn't a show. It wasn't, he wasn't putting on words. He wasn't being hypocritical. He simply went there with a purpose that as he went from town to town, city to city, he went into the synagogues. He went in there and had a dialogue with them. He talked with them. He encouraged them. Sometimes it was accepted. Most of the time it was rejected. They'd chase him out of town. He'd go to the next place. But he said, you know how transparently I lived among you. And he says, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Over and over, he said, it was not easy, but I was faithful. You saw with the tears in my eyes how I faithfully went in and taught 
and persevered despite the plotting of the Jews to come against me. And I find it ironic that most of the time it's not the unsaved world that is as critical as much as some of the saved world who basically at times will basically crucify because you have a little bit different twist on that verse than what I have. Or, or you should know better and therefore because you're not acting as you should, I'm going to just come down on you and pour salt on the open wound. Oftentimes, in the Jewish people who you think would know better, they were not necessarily unreligious, they knew the Scripture. And yet it is those who tried to plot against Paul to kill him. And verse 20 says, And how I kept nothing that, back nothing that was helpful. So again, he says, I remind you, he goes, I did everything that was beneficial for you. It wasn't bragging. It wasn't braggadocious. He said, I'm simply being honest with you. He goes, I kept nothing back that was helpful for you. In verse 21, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So, I mean, once again, sign me up, as I said last week. I am going there knowing, because the Holy Spirit has enlightened me before I get there, that it's not going to be easy once I get there. I mean, how many of us are going to go on a trip knowing you're going to have problems? Let's just be honest. If there's a slight hint that there's a snowstorm, I'm holding back. I remember growing up in Minnesota, it's 25 below zero without the wind chill. You know how many times the wind stopped me from going somewhere? You know how many times the snow cut me from going somewhere? I mean, I mean, it was just a matter of life. You, 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 snowstorm, what's that? You know, I, I remember being in Mississippi and they had slight flurries, everything shut down. I mean, there's a couple flakes flowing through the air. It's like, it shut down. I mean, it's like, stop everything. Man, we had three feet of snow in Minnesota. We didn't stop for nothing. That just meant the plows went a little bit more. Uh, but we, we, he says, listen, I went on these journeys knowing because the Holy Spirit told me in advance that tribulation and trials awaited me. And yet he didn't stop. Isn't that amazing? And then he says, in verse 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish the race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What does it take to stop you? What does it take to make you say, I quit? He says, none of these things move me. The fact that you may kill me, he says later in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? So kill me. They tried. And yet it didn't stop him from doing what God called him to do. So as we ended last week, I said, what is it that God has called you to? What is it that God is prompting your spirit to do in obedience to Him? And what does it take for you to do it or to stop doing it? That's a test of your faith. That's a test of your obedience. He says, none of these things move me. I don't care if tribulations wait. I don't care if trials await me. I'm still going to do it. And if it hurts me, Oh, well, think about that. And we give up easy. I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm just going to be by myself here. I, I, I quit now. There are just some things that are just easier not to do than to do. Anybody agree? It's just easier. But I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the one that quits. I want to be the one that stays faithful and just plugs away and says, God, use me till I die. That's what I want. And he says, therefore... Because of all these things, because of all these reminders that I've just given you, I testify, verse 26, 
to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of men. He says, nobody can point the finger to me and say, I didn't do what God called me to do as far as sharing the gospel and teaching the word as he commanded me to do. He says, I am free of man's blood. He says, if that person dies and goes to hell, he goes, their blood is not on me because I shared. That is a huge, huge statement for those of us that know Jesus. How many times have God's Spirit prompted us to open our mouth to say something regarding our faith, to invite them to a relationship, and we just say, no, it's easier not to. They don't understand. They're going to get upset. They'll kind of judge me. They'll be prejudiced towards me, whatever. I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep quiet about it. Because it's easier. Anybody disagree? It's easier not to say something than it is to say something sometimes. And he says, but I want you to know, in light of everything, therefore I am innocent of man's blood. He says, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And then verse 28, he says, therefore, again, in light of everything that I've just shared with you, he says, take heed. So now this is a final admonition with this group. And now how do you know it's final? Because I read the end of the chapter and he says, we don't want to see you anymore. And so he's called all together, all these Ephesian elders, these church leaders, these people who are in places of leadership. And he says, therefore, because of everything that I said, because of my testimony, because of the example that I've lived before you, because of everything that has been said, therefore, take heed. What's, what's that word take heed mean? Therefore, take heed. In other words, be on guard. Be ready. I mean, think about that. Do you know when a thief is going to break into your house? Yes or no? No. Do you know when you're going to die? No. Uh, do you know what's going to take place tomorrow? No. See, there's so many things that we don't know in life. And he says, but this, when it comes to the souls of men, take heed because what I'm about to tell you is going to happen. And if we could fast forward a thousand years, we see that Paul is still right. He has not been wrong yet think about this so he says be on guard and here's what he says to do shepherd the flock in other words god's church he's talking to these ephesian elders he says shepherd the flock if you would take your bibles and turn over to john chapter 10 just for a minute when i think of the word shepherd my mind automatically always goes to john chapter 10 uh, it, it's a familiar passage, but, but just bear with me just for a minute. It says, I'm going to begin reading verse 1. It says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. I remember the first time that I read this passage, I remember thinking, what's he really talking about? Well, I got to see an example of this, uh, actually, and I, have, and I have some books called Manners and Customs of the Bible. And in that, it talks about the idea of a sheepfold and how it was built. Yeah, way back when, they used to have rock stones for um, property lines, for you know, so forth, to divide the property, to divide the land, uh, mark property markings, so forth. But they would have these stone walls, and the stone walls would be about waist high, waist high, sometimes maybe four or five foot at most. But they're basically just stone walls. And they would kind of come up at a, not so much a, a steep angle, but maybe a couple feet at the bottom up to maybe a foot or a few inches at the top. And there would be an opening in one spot. You know what the opening was for? For the shepherd to lay down in the doorway. They didn't have an actual literal door, as you might think. It was an opening in the wall where the shepherd would actually sit or lay or sleep. And so here's what he says there, verse 1. 
He says, he, does not, who, he who does not enter into the sheepfold by the door and climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber. A thief or a robber would go over to try to steal the sheep. But he who is the shepherd sleeps in that door. He comes in through the doorways to, you know, to protect. Then he goes on here. It says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So here's the relationship that a shepherd has with his sheep. It's an amazing thing. I don't fully understand it, but I've witnessed it. A sheep know, sheep know the voice of their shepherd. So I was at Eagley Sheep Farm in Denorog, Ontario, Canada. There were several thousand sheep, but in one pasture the, the shepherd gave a demonstration. And uh, as he whistled one way, all the sheep went this way. He whistled another way, the sheep went this way. He whistled another way, the sheep went this way. And he whistled this way, he, they, the sheep all came towards him, and then they just stopped. The guy literally had the sheep trained, according to how he whistled, to do whatever he wanted them to do. Here's the amazing thing that I will never forget. There were 40 people watching that demonstration. About 15, 20 of them were little kids. What do you think the little kids were doing? Whistling. You know how many sheep listened to the voice of any of those kids? None. Isn't that amazing? You'd think with 20 kids standing here whistling that maybe some of the sheep would hear that voice and want to do what that whistles does. Because all the kids are trying to copy the guy doing it. But they didn't. It was an amazing demonstration of how those sheep were trained to listen to one voice. And one voice only. And I wonder, as God is our shepherd, and of course I'm His under-shepherd, how many voices are we looking for? looking to listen to we listen to the news we listen to the radio we listen to the you know tv you know we listen to everything we listen to our friends they got our ear we listen to those on facebook we listen to those who are we listening to i feel like we listen every direction but god sometimes how do i know that because as soon as we have a problem the first thing we do is we pick up the phone and we call our friends rather than sit down on our knees to god the one who really wants to listen to us when we have a struggle I mean, think about this. So this relationship that he has. Verse 4 says, And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And I think about this. Do we actually run from the voices that are leading us astray? Do we actually turn our backs on them and say, I, I, I can't listen to this. If I do, I'll be distracted. If I do, I'll do the wrong thing. And it's amazing that we will so often give in because it feels better. It's not as confronting. It doesn't hurt as much. And yet God says, wait a minute, turn your back on the voice of a stranger. Don't listen to those voices. Don't let them in your life. Don't even give them an ear. Don't even, don't even, don't even give them any attention because if you do, they're, they're going to fill your mind. Think about that. He goes on. Now he says, yet by no means follow a stranger. Verse 6, Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. I mean, think about this. He said, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But he who is a hireling and not the shepherd, one who does not know the sheep, own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. He goes on. There's a whole thing. I encourage you to read through 
John 10 sometimes through the rest of the chapter. There's so much there. But He leads and guides them. He protects them. He provides them. Psalm 23, He leads them beside still waters. You know, He cares for their well-being. <coughs> Excuse me. So when we think about this, when He says in Acts chapter 20, that as a spiritual leader of the church, as a pastor, He is to shepherd the flock. What does that mean? My responsibility is to what? Care for the sheep that God's entrusted to me. That's it. Let me just share something with you. I don't know if you know this, but I'm going I'm to share it with you anyway, just in case you don't. You know that there's a difference between a live pastor and a TV pastor? Yeah, did you know that? How many know that? There you go. There's, there's a difference. You know, I've never met a TV pastor who came to your house when your, when your spouse passed away. Never met, I never met a TV pastor, and maybe you know one, but 99% of them, they're not going to come to your house when, you, when your kid's been in a car accident or visit them at the hospital or walk with you through a difficult time and come over to your house and pray with you. That's what I do. I'm a live pastor, a live shepherd who cares for his sheep. The bottom line is there's accessibility. I don't know if you know this. Let me throw it out there. 95% of pastors, and if you've been to any other churches, you probably know this, don't give out their cell phones. They don't. Because that's when they treat it like a job. From 8 to 5, I'm here, and after 5, that's my time. Don't bother me. Do not bother me. Most of the pastors in this area will not give out their cell phone to their people at all for any reason. And I think, yes, it gets overwhelming. Ask my kids. It gets a little much at times, trust me. But I'd rather be there for my sheep as their shepherd than to say, well, five o'clock's over, it's my time. But that's the difference of having a shepherd that cares for a sheep. You know, I think about not only the accessibility, I think about this, the personal knowledge of each other. You know, it's amazing that I get to have the fun of seeing all these kids born in this church. And I have the fun of watching them grow up and watching Ellie get all giddy like a teenager. And it's like I'm sitting in the back laughing and saying, how did that happen? And probably not near as much as her parents are. But I mean, I'm watching little Maddie. I can remember, I was, I, was, I was like three or four days ago, you know how your phone just feeds up these automatically all reviews of pictures taken years ago on your iPhone? I'm sitting there going, that, that's Maddie when she was like four years old. I'm like, holy smokes. That's, that's changed, Right? You say, how does this happen? Time flies, moves on. But there's personal things that we know about each other because we spent time together. It's not just a job. If I wanted a job, I'd go work a 9 to 5 and call it a day. But this is ministry. It's life touching life. And that's why we're here. The bottom line is a lot of people don't treat ministry that way. A lot of people look at it as like, well, it's, you know, I'm there, I'll help the church grow, I'll, I'll take care of the services, but after work, it's my time. Don't bother me. I have a friend of a very big church in this area, huge church in this area. They went by his house, he saw him in the yard, and he goes, don't bother me, this is my time. I saw you Sunday. That happened at a mega church in our area. That happens. But things get busy, yeah. I said I can turn a 20-minute job out back into two hours if someone stops by. 
It's really easy. But you know, the bottom line is we're here. We're available in crisis. And that's why he said he's reminding these Ephesian elders, these church leaders who have come together and gathered in Jerusalem, be on guard, take heed, shepherd the flock, invest in them, spend time with them. I am so grateful and thankful for a wife. I'm just telling you, I'm married up, just saying. Is anybody, I mean, think about this. She does so much for so many people, it puts me to shame. It's amazing what she does. I'm so grateful for that. But we're a team, and we've learned to shepherd God's people together. I'm so grateful for that. So he says the shepherd. So I, I, to me, this is a great responsibility. And I think about how God is our shepherd, and we're his under-shepherd as pastors. But how does he love the church? I think there's no greater verse than John 3.16. If you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. When I think of that verse, I think just those first three words, God so loved. You know, that is supremely. Just putting that little two-letter word in front of love, so. It's, it's just so encompassing that he completely, supremely loves us. The, the world, that's completely. He didn't leave anyone out. He didn't say the, the social elite or the financial elite or, or even those who are poor in the depths, you know, this is for you. He says completely, the world. Think about that. He completely, supremely loved the world. That what? That He gave. That's sacrificially. His only Son. I don't know about Think about this. What is the nearest and dearest thing in your life to you? It's probably your children. You sacrifice more for your children than you do anyone else, most of you. I realize some of you haven't had that, that, that ability to have kids, but for the most part, those of you that have children, the nearest and dearest thing to you is your children. For others of you, it may be your spouse. But when you think of what is the nearest and dearest thing to you, would you be willing to give that up for people who would reject you? I, I don't know. That, that'd be hard, right? That'd be hard. Think about that. But he was willing to give up what was nearest. God gave up his only son. It wasn't like he had five to choose from. He had one. And he gave his only one. That's sacrificially. That whosoever, that's unconditionally. Unconditionally. Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Expectantly. There's hope at the end of the tunnel. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope at the end of life. When we think about God and how He shepherds us, that's how we are to shepherd. And then he says two areas. So he says, first of all, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So it's not only personally, he says to yourselves, but he also says publicly to all the flock. So we're to take care of both things, personally and publicly. So think about that. When it comes to taking care of those around us and taking care of the flock, how are we doing? Do we think of others in need? Do we think about how we can be a blessing and encouragement to those around us? Um, I, I wish I had, could do a better job of this, but 
Some of you know, and not all of you, but every once in a while I will just sit down like every few weeks and sit down and write a few thank you notes. Just handwrite them. Um, I, I don't know about you, but when I get these generic birthday cards from organizations in the mail that they're just printouts, they mean anything to you? No? I throw them away. Oh, Molly A. Chevrolet, happy birthday. We're wishing you a wonderful day with many virtues. Right. <laughs> Means nothing. It's a generic card. There's no relationship. I don't know you. You don't know me. And why would I care about what you think about my birthday? I'm just saying. But when I get a handwritten note from somebody, I cherish that. Because that means you took time out of your schedule. And those of you that got mine, you, know, you have to be good at hieroglyphics. I get it. Um, you know, it's hard to read, but I hope you know I appreciate you because it's my own handwriting. I took the time to say thank you. And I don't do it enough. I really don't. I wish I could do it more often and be more. Some of you guys are really good. Betty, you're great at it. Bonnie's good at it. Others of you are good at it. You take time to write notes, and it's so encouraging. But here's the thing. When you get a handwritten note from somebody, you know they care for you. Yeah, it's a blessing to encourage. But we have those opportunities. But he says personally and publicly. And so we should take the time to encourage one another through that. And what's his rationale behind this? He gives us two reasons why we should do this. He says, fine, um, number one, he made you an overseer or steward of his flock. Do you realize that this church is not my church? Do you know that? It's not mine. I get to be a steward of it. I get to make decisions in it. I get to encourage people within it. But it will never be mine. It's not mine. It's ours because we are the church. I am as much of the church as you are as much as the church. I know it's not proper English, but that's okay. You get the point. We are all God's church if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior. It's our church. It's not Ken's church. We forget that sometimes. And pastors forget that. I know pastors who have abused churches terribly. And I think someday they're going to stand before God and give an account and they're not going to be happy that day. They're going to be standing before God saying, oh, what have I done? I want to be careful because I will give an account for this. I don't take things flippantly. It's an amazing thing. I, you know, often I get requests for people to marry them. And I think to myself, and I, and, I, and I won't go through it with you because it doesn't matter right now, but I ask them three questions. And when I ask those three questions, the third question is like, that's none of your business. I, okay. But if you want it to come to a pastor to get married, I'm assuming you want a Christian ceremony. I'm assuming that you want God's blessing on that marriage. So I'm going to ask some confronting questions that are going to make you think of whether you're not in line to receive God's blessing yet. Right? Because if you're living in sin and wanting God to bless it, it's not going to happen. And just know this, I'm not just going to do a ceremony just so you can get married so I can not give an account for it before God one day. Those people that come to me know that I'm going to get upfront and personal. People that come to me know that you're not going to get married for me unless you give me six to eight weeks of premarital counseling. People who come to me know that you're going to have to go through some tough stuff before we get there. We'll have fun doing it. But I will give an account to God for what I do. And I'm not taking that flippantly just because you may be a good friend. 
There have been people that have been close to me in my own family. I said, no, I can't do it. Why? You're a pastor. It's your job. No, it's not. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4.11. My job is not to do wedding ceremonies, although I do them. My job is not to do everything else. My job is to teach the saints to do the work of the ministry. But the bottom line is we do those things because we're family. But there are times that I get up front and personal because I know that I will stand before God and I'm not just going to rubber stamp something just because you think I should. You say, was that really that big deal? Yeah. Because I think that when we stand before God, I want to be able to stand before Him, as it says in 1 John, blameless. Does that mean I'm perfect? No. By no means. Ask my family. They will tell you all my flaws. You've, seen, you've been here long enough to see a lot of them. But I will stand before God. And I will give an account. But the reason is, he goes, he made me a steward of his flock. In other words, it's, you're not my people. You're God's people that I get to help lead and steward. You know what a steward is? A steward is somebody who manages something that's not theirs. You know what investors are? Stewards. But you know why a lot of stewards get in trouble? Because they think it's theirs. <laughs> you ever watched American Greed? Oh, my goodness. I was watching another episode last night. These people funnel millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of other people's money into their own personal yachts, their seventh home, um, trips all around the world. As they said this one guy last night, J-Lo, he had a whole box full of Rolexes that he would just give out. He spent a billion dollars of other people's money. Artificial, fake investment funding that he was stealing and not investing, but using it personally. We're stewards. I get to help take care of something that's not mine. You know, I, I love it when... People ask me, we've had different groups in our church before, music groups and so forth, and they, we've had a couple say, well, we, we like to have one of our people there present when you count money. And I'm like, you're not doing that. No, sorry, you're not doing that. Literally ask that. Well, if you're taking a love offering for us, we should be able to be there to count it. Too bad, if you don't trust us, don't come. Because I got Paul. <laughs> Enough said. I mean, this is a guy who spent three days looking for one cent because the ledger didn't line up. I said, Paul, I'd have given you the penny. Nope, because I still don't know where that other one is. <laughs> we got Paul. You're not watching. There's no one in this world I trust more than Paul with finances. We are stewards, folks. He says, because I've made you steward of the flock. And not only that, he goes, they're purchased with my blood. I don't know what amount of money you could give for the greatest gift you think you could give, but I promise you it can't compare to the blood that Jesus gave. It can't. He says, I sacrificed and I gave you. Or I mean, he goes, I purchased you with my blood. And when we've been purchased with his blood, think about this you're sealed, you're purchased, you're owned. You're not your own, by the way. You're not free to make your own choices if you know Jesus. You're His. So He says, know this, Acts 20, 29. For I know this. He says, you need to know this. Take heed. Therefore, take heed. 
Now, Paul had just been here for some matter of time. You know, in most places, he went for a few days, a few weeks, moved on. He was actually here for a little while. Called these Ephesian elders in. And he says, I'm about to leave, because we read that in the end of the chapter. He says, know this, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He says, there are two things that are going to happen. Savage wolves will come in when I depart and cause problems. Paul says, I'm here for a little while and I'm encouraging you, take heed. You better be on guard. Because he goes, when I leave, there are going to be those that come in who are going to cause problems. Folks, how do you, how do you stop that? Churches across America have people coming in causing problems. We've had it. Only twice in my life have I asked somebody to leave our church. I'm sorry, three times. Three times. Both of them were in the last two years. All three of them were in the last three years, or two years. It was the hardest thing to do. I don't want to ask someone to leave. I often have the uh, sense of remorse and guilt after I do it because I think if I don't minister to them and be patient with them, who will? But there comes a point when they cause problems and you can see the handwriting on the wall that it's not going to get better. I have to protect everyone else. We had a man in here a couple years ago that was starting to target our elderly ladies. And I said, I, I, I never in my life, folks, never. This guy come up here and I chewed him out three inches away from his nose. I screamed at him. I've never done that before in my life. And he was back the next week like I didn't say a word. If I would have done that to a complete stranger visitor, how many would have come back? This guy was thick-headed. He literally came back. And I'm like, what in the world? Was this guy deaf? But I looked right at him and I said, you are not going to target our ladies. You are not going to treat them that way and you will not get away with that here. Because I had your best interest at heart. I'm not putting up with it. If I see a problem, I'm going to deal with it. That's my job. But there will be people who come in. And another one that we recently said, you're not coming back here anymore. You've been arrested since then, twice. For causing problems in other churches, by the way. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, you need to deal with this guy before it gets out of hand. And by God's grace, we will here. Because I want to protect the rest of the sheep. It's not easy, and I think to myself, if I don't, who's going to? But there are also times when the Spirit says, this guy's not going to change. You need to deal with him. Are we perfect in that? No, I wish we were. But I'm telling you, I will protect this, shop, this, this group of sheep. I will die for this sheep in this church. I will fight for this group. You know that. You should know that. I will fight for you in this church. And I won't, cause, I won't let division come in here over my dead body. I said a long time ago, when people say we had fights and we have, we have business meetings that go till 2 in the morning, why? That's stupid. That's just dumb. We have arguments and people screaming at each other, not in this church, not having it. That doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. There may be times that we may disagree on things, but we're not going to have fighting and yelling and screaming. We're not going to let the devil have an applause time. Not happening. I will fight for that. Why? Because he says it's going to happen, so you need to be on guard. And if we're on guard, we can stop it from happening. Not only be on guard, he says men will come from within and speak perverse things. Wait a minute. People from within, he goes, yes. So be on guard. Take heed. Do you realize that there's a, there's safety in having a statement of faith in our church? 
we have a doctrinal statement that we adhere to. When I was candidating at this church 13 years ago, I was given a piece of paper that said, this is our statement of faith. This is what our church holds to. And I say, I agree with that. I'm going to uphold that. So when someone comes in here and says, oh, I don't agree with this, you have the right to disagree, but you're not going to teach anything else. You can have a difference of opinion all day long, and we can even discuss those opinions. But when it comes to what our churches has agreed to a statement of faith, we're going to hold to. And if you don't agree to it, there are plenty of other churches that will probably agree with what you like. But this is what we're standing on. There's safety in that. It's what keeps our church from going to the left or to the right when somebody who has a personality or a charismatic personality comes in and says, well, I think the Bible says this. Okay, great. You can think that, but you're not going to teach it here. We will stand on that. And that doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. It just means that this is what we're holding to as a church. This is what we've agreed to. And if you don't agree to it, it's okay. But you're not going to teach something different. That's what a shepherd does. He protects his sheep. He says men will come from within to speak perverse things. And we protect against that by having our documents. By having the Word of God that we believe that we're standing on. When we think about all these things, he goes, this is the job of a shepherd. Um, let's look at a couple of verses. Um, Matt, Matt, you can put them on the screen probably quicker than I can get you to turn to them. Time's getting away. But Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24. Uh, okay. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. You think, well, I'll never be deceived. I'll never go. I'll never give in to that. Really? Because God's Word says, if possible, they'd even deceive the elect. It's possible. When you're not walking with God, how do you know counterfeit versus real? You spend enough time with the real, as they teach you in banking, I'm told, that you know counterfeit when you see it. It jumps out. And that little, still, small voice says, I don't know about that. I would follow that. It's there for a reason. It's there for a cause. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up upon themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be and turned aside to fables. Think about that. The day is going to come when itching ears will say, well, that sounds better than this. Do you realize that sometimes things in the Word of God are hard? They're hard things sometimes. That means I have to say no to some areas of the flesh. Say no to some things that my flesh desires. Say no to some things that make me feel good. But this is not smorgasbord Christianity. A little bit of this, not so much of that. A little bit more of that. It's not smorgasbord Christianity. It's take it or leave it. Be quiet in here. Matthew seven fifteen through twenty. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Isn't that what he just warned against? You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. God does not call us to be fruit inspectors, unlike some people have said. It's not my job to judge. I just watch the fruit. Period. It says, by your fruit, by their actions, they'll speak volumes. I don't have to inspect it. I just look. Bottom line. 
don't know about you, he says, this is going to happen. And if you don't know the truth, if you don't stand on the truth, you'll be deceived. So I've grown up in church my entire life. I've heard the Bible preached for years. It does not matter. It happens every day of the week. Unless you are spending time on your knees, spending time in God's Word, praying and walking in fellowship with God, it's possible that we can be deceived. That's why, I don't know about you, but that's why I like the fellowship. I love Thursday night's men's gathering where we can encourage each other, stand with each other, you know, discuss the Word of God in Scripture. I need that. Maybe you don't, but I do, and I think we all need it. One more, Second Peter chapter 2. Well, I'll, I'll just read that one. That's the whole chapter. Let me just kind of hit some highlights here. Second um, Peter chapter 2. I'm almost there. Second Peter chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of it, but let me just read verse 1. It says, But there were also false prophets among the people. Even there there will be false teachers among you. And then it gets us, Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. I mean, think about this. There are those who so are dead set on what they believe, even if you disagree with them, even if ten people disagree with them. They're going to come in, they're going to secretly, well, you know, one-on-one, you know, you know, I don't think the Word quite says that, you know, really. Isn't that how Satan worked in the garden? Did God really say that? I mean, he says, think about it. They're there. They'll, they will come in. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way the truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, but their destruction does not slumber, it doesn't sleep, it doesn't go away. Think about this. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Now think about this. If God allowed all that sinful judgment to go on them, what do you think he's going to do to someone who tries to deceive the church of God? I feel sad for him already. Hadn't even happened yet. But I'm telling you, we have to be on guard. And I need to be on guard as a church, as a pastor of this fellow flock of sheep, so that we don't let deceptive teaching come in. And that's my commitment. First Timothy 4.16. Last one. It says, take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so, doing this, you will save you both yourself and those who hear you. So he says, be committed to the word. Stand on firm truth, sound doctrine. Last verse, and I'm going to look at in Acts chapter 20. Verse 31 says, therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He says, watch and remember. He says, be on guard. Watch everything that's going on. Be mindful. Be, be alert. And remember the things that you've been taught. I do not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I commend you God and to God and the word of His grace. What It will do two things. Number one, it will build you up and it will give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Now think about this. Who are sanctified? There are three words in the Scripture that are almost used interchangeably and synonymous with each other. One is holy, one is set apart, and one is sanctified. Those, those phrases. Those of you that are sanctified, holy, and set apart, that means you know Jesus Christ, have a relationship with Him. He said it will build you up if you stay true to the word. That's what God wants from us. 
He wants us to stay true to the word. He said, no, give you an inheritance. What's our inheritance? I don't know about you, but this world has nothing to offer to keep me here forever. Nothing. Has nothing. We can look for a job that pays more, a nicer house, a better car, better clothing, more positions, and it's all nothing. That's why Paul said I could count my life as nothing. There's nothing here worth dying and living here forever for. He wants more for us than sometimes we want for ourselves. Isn't that amazing? That God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. He says, you have an inheritance awaiting for you. That's what we're looking for. But when we think about all these things, he says, the bottom line is as he was leaving, and we know this because he says, we're going to escort you down to the ship to see you no more. He says, take heed. Be on guard. Be committed to the word. Stand true on this. It will build you up. It will give you an inheritance. The bottom line is we have a job to do. Not only as shepherds, but also as sheep because the job of a sheep is to follow the shepherd. We're in this together and knowing that I will stand before God for what we do. We work together to accomplish God's will, not our own. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts even after the service ends. Lord, that we would do our part. And Lord, I know that we address several areas. Lord, maybe someone's struggling with something I didn't even touch. Lord, we know that your Holy Spirit is able to address those things too. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning to draw us closer to you, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that before we even think of anything else, Lord, I pray that we would be honest with ourselves, Lord, to know ourselves as you know us. And, Lord, if we're honest, Lord, there's some areas that we're lacking. There's some things that need to change. There's some things that we need to improve in. There's some things that maybe we need to put away, get rid of. But I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to do that. Lord, not for our own selves, but for you, so that we can walk in fellowship with you. Lord, I don't know how your Holy Spirit may have worked this morning, if it worked. I trust that it did. I'm assuming that it did. But Lord, I pray that your will would be accomplished in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be a day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray that if there be some here today, Lord, who have wandered from the truth, who have had itchy ears and maybe they've started to listen to people or preachers, Lord, that are not teaching truth, Lord, that you draw them back. Help us to be on guard. Lord, I don't know how you may have worked this morning, but I pray, God, that you will have touched lives. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just as we do every week, we have an opportunity to respond. Maybe this morning you say, Pastor, you know, I'm challenging one or more of these areas. I just know that if I'm honest with myself and God knows my heart, there's some things that need to change. I need to get back to the truth, get extending on what I know is right. I need to start taking heed. I need to follow better. Whatever the case may be, you say, Pastor, God's, God spoke to my heart this morning. Would you pray for me? Something like that. Yes, in the front, in the back, in the side. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things that need to change. Yes. Can I just challenge us all right here where we're at to take a moment to pray? To ask God to forgive us, because God's word says if to him that knows to do right doesn't do it, it's sin. Maybe there's an opportunity for us just for a moment this morning to confess our sin, to repent of it. 
and ask God to work in our hearts to draw us closer. Lord God, I pray that you be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. Lord, I know that there are so many things that people are going through that maybe no one else knows about, but God, we know that you know, because you're God. You know all things. You're omniscient. And Lord, I know that you are a God that heals. You're a God that cares for us. You're a God that loves us. You're a God that meets needs. You're there for us in every way, even when we are unfaithful and inconsistent. You are. So, Lord, I pray that you would bring encouragement to those that need it, bring conviction to those that need it. And, Lord, be very near and real to those that need to sense your presence this week, Lord. Be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that they may know that you're working in their lives. Help me as a pastor, Lord, to be a good shepherd, the under shepherd that you want me to be, Lord, for these people. Forgive me where I failed, Lord. Give me wisdom to where I what I, things I should be doing. So, Lord, be with all of us, Lord, that we may walk in fellowship with you as our true shepherd. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.